Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. Dan Delmar and Mike Newton with you today. Hello, Mike. Hey, Dan. How are you? Good. How are you? Oh, pretty good. Thank you. Pretty good. Today, we're going to talk about uh, a favorite topic among Quebecers, um, that is healthcare. And uh, we're going to be speaking with Dr. Safir Vanunu, CEO of Tap Medical. He's our profile on the program today. They are a, uh, it's, it's an application that allows you to, to book medical appointments uh, from your phone, from a website. And they're also going to be sort of part of this Quebec-wide network, the appointment booking network that's going to be online in a few weeks. So it's a really interesting company. And Mike, um, you know, begs the question, you know, does, does Quebec need the private sector to jump in once in a while in in healthcare, and I, I remember going back ten years ago, probably when I just started hosting the show, I was very opposed to private healthcare. And then came the Shelley decision. Um, uh, you know, this is going back a while, uh, and I remember you know things changed then. And what that decision said essentially was that as a society, we need help. We need help to improve the healthcare system, and not relying on the private sector at least a little bit of the time. Is a is a mistake, and um, and since then everything's changed. Yeah, it's funny. If this was TV, you would have seen me sitting here applauding the fact that we're we're we've got a successful public and uh, pri- a private uh, initiative going on. I mean, as as much as you know, there was a massive pushback initially against the privatization and the I guess the capitalistic approach to to healthcare. Uh, there are many things that come out of it that that keep everybody on their toes, and and what we need to find is that balance between public and private. There is no perfect public system. There is no perfect private system. Uh, to date, there's been no such thing as anywhere close to a perfect combined system. But I, th- I think this, this, this is a really good example that we're going to hear, hear about today in, in terms of taking that private money, uh, private initiative, private business, and making it succeed for the public environment. And, and, and I got to say, it, it's fascinating. And I really hope that it be, be, begins a wave of future public practice uh, and private practice initiatives. And whether that's medicine or anywhere else, I think we both sides of the coin have something to learn. And if we can find a, a way to partner together. So this is definitely a win-win. Uh, and, and I hope that this is the, the beginning uh, of examples and, and, and uh, initiatives between the private and the public sector. We both have a lot to offer each other. And I do think that uh, this is a way to go. You know, as Canadians, we for years have put our hands up and said, no, 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 to any kind of privatization. Um, But I do think there are things to learn from the private sector uh, when it comes to medicine and treatment and efficiency and certain models, uh, you know, wastage. There's a whole bunch of things that I think the private sector can, can contribute. And I think there's a whole bunch of sides that the public sector can contribute in terms of compassion and understanding and putting the client first before dollars. So I, this is definitely a win-win to me, and I'm really happy to have this conversation today because I think it is, uh, hopefully, at least in the healthcare sector, a, a really good uh, model of a first partnership. It's also helping workforces too, especially during the pandemic. And we're not even talking about the private delivery of the actual healthcare here. We're actually just talking about the organization, the booking, the management, and that's here uh, the, the innovation that uh, our guest will bring to the table. So we'll talk to Dr. Fununu in a little bit. But as usual, we'll begin with some news and notes. Mike, or the thought leadership segment, as we like to call it, somewhat ironically here on the Today's Entrepreneur Program. A um, couple of book recommendations. One I gave uh, a few weeks ago, which I think is great for entrepreneurs. It's called Post-Corona, 
From Crisis to Opportunity. It's by Scott Galloway, who's an increasingly popular uh, business commentator. He's on CNN now. So post-corona, check that out. And Mike, my next recommendation is actually not one that I've read yet, but I'm going to dig into it soon. And, and it just seems so relevant that we should bring up the topic, um, at least preliminarily. It's uh, by a, an American economic journalist named Christopher Mims, and it's called Arriving Today. How, uh, sorry, from factory to front door, why everything has changed about how and what we buy. Here's a quick little snippet. We are at a tipping point in retail history. While consumers are profiting from the convenience of instant gratification, rapidly advancing technologies uh, are transforming the way goods are transported and displacing workers in ways never before seen. When we talk about the supply chain crisis, this is what we're talking about, really, um, not just the coronavirus and its effects um, on the world economy, but um, these very increasingly complicated systems throughout the world that are being disrupted for a few reasons. Yeah, you know, it, I mean, I, again, I haven't read the book either. I've flipped through, uh, uh, you know, some of the segments and I got to say that, you know, when it, it's really what we're living at this point. And, you know, let's take a step back maybe into into some of this and, you know, the supply chain component. We've just taken for granted that the goods show up on our doorstep, right? It place an order and, you know, very few people go through the exercise of, of you know, what they call the journey of the goods. So let's, you know, let let's look at this and say whether it's manufactured in China or it's manufactured in, you know, somewhere in Alberta or somewhere in Wisconsin, um, the goods have to go from factory to our doorstep. Um, you know, the reality is we have gone from a relatively simple uh, supply chain when North America controlled its own manufacturing, controlled its own shipping, uh, dealt with its own time delays and its own cross-border issues, um, to one of, of it, it's just an immense industry, which is the, the journey, the, the time the goods leave the factory to the time they get to us. And, you know, over the years, we have sacrificed manufacturing jobs. We have sacrificed control over our goods uh, to, to the point where ultimately now, and, and COVID really brought this out. And, and, and we're starting to see, and I think, I don't know how you put a cost on it, but I think we're going to have to find a way to quantify this, is the product savings cost by manufacturing elsewhere. Okay, plus the delivery and the logistics cost of getting it to you is the cost you ultimately pay. That's the way we've always looked at it. What we haven't looked at is what is the cost associated with not having access to something when we're either being held hostage by shipping container prices or uh, other supply chain issues getting it to our shores before we can then distributed ourselves, same as we would from you know, Alberta or Wisconsin. And, and I think we've seen this with vaccines. We've seen this with empty shelves at the store. Uh, there's a cost associated with this. So all of a sudden, this you know the globalization of what we've been looking at and saving money on a manufacturing component has come home to roost to a certain degree in a supply chain environment that really has a lot of people wondering, hey, it's great that Amazon can get me my goods overnight. What is the ultimate social cost to all of this? And you know the Walmarts and the Costco's of the worlds have, have become and the Amazons have become heroes to, to many people. But if you dig deep, they've basically uh, destroyed most of the small manufacturing and the, the small ma and pa shops along the way. What is that? What, what is the cost associated with that? And, you know, the goods and how they get here, we no longer have control over our goods. And, you know, as, as a North American consumer and a North American businessman, that worries me. We're, we're talking about sort of the supply chain management, but at a sort of small level, we're up against Christmas. Uh, some people are not going to get their presents on time. 
why why is that the case i mean we even if people are ordering early um you know why is there still even sort of late into the pandemic so many disruptions with the supply chain well there's the i guess there's the uh, for radio version and then there's the off-air version that i can uh, i can just dis discuss but the reality is is you know we get uh we're at the the uh, i guess at the whim of uh overseas control and you know that that that's part of whether that's a manufacturing component, whether that's uh, you know if you've seen the pictures in the uh, the port of Los Angeles of boats backed up, uh, you know because they can't they they can't get uh, to dock. Um, there's so many factors that play into all of this. And yes, I agree with you that you know Christmas is coming up and people are are going to be short stocked. Um, Maybe I'm maybe I'm becoming a little bit of a Scrooge in, in my old age, but you know I'm less concerned about the Christmas presents and I'm more concerned about the food and the and, and the goods that people need to live. And you know when when your Christmas presents you have to order two months in advance in order to get. Think of what that means from a food perspective. Think of that what that means from a a supply on day to day for supplies for restaurants, supplies for the businesses that you work in. I mean all of these things are 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 all part and parcel of the same. What we're seeing is the FedExes and the UPSs are the front facing component of the supply chain. And, and that's what you see. What you don't see are all the very layers beforehand that are contributing to, to such a to slow, lengthy and lethargic growth. And yes, my off-air discussion will probably revolve around being held hostage. But you know, I guess that's, that, that's a different conversation. The thing that strikes me um, is not only uh, sort of how we're all not aware of the supply chain, um, but we're also not aware of how it's, like you said earlier, sort of decimating the local manufacturing sector. And as much as we like to talk green and talk about um, supporting local business, I think we need to talk about local manufacturing. I think we need to look at areas in the East End um, or Chabanel for that matter, or uh, in the surrounding areas of Montreal and get some a concerted effort by government to to reboot local manufacturing because if not you know every time every time a ship gets stuck in, in a canal we're gonna we're gonna have a toilet paper crisis right we can't we can't build an economy like this in the future no i mean what we've created in the last 50 or 60 years and and, and more so in the, in the in the i guess the last 30 40 years is a uh an environment of, I hate to say it because I'm one of them, a, a paper pusher. I mean, we've created, uh, you know, jobs for uh, lawyers, accountants, professionals, um, yet we have taken a hit to manufacturing. We've taken a hit to the blue collar jobs that have always been the staple to, to our economies. Well, it's great that ultimately at the end of the day, we are creating more potentially high level professional jobs. But at what cost to, uh, you know, the, our, our, our environment, at what costs to, you know, when it takes more to ship something, obviously, there's an environmental effect. When there's more packaging, because it has to go further and it has to be safer, what is the environmental effect? Um, you know, and we all look at these things and we say, hey, so long as the economy's rolling along, uh, we say all good is products are cheaper on the short term. And, and let's face it, we live in a society or have traditionally lived in a society, which is involves two things short term and me 
And, you know, when you put those two factors together, there's a long-term cost associated with it. And, you know, when we hit a crisis like we did in COVID and, you know, we kind of joke about the toilet paper shortage, but when we hit, when we hit the crisis, now all of a sudden, what are we seeing? We're seeing the cost of living hit close to 5% on, on uh, you know, in inflation. Interest rates, okay, are bearing almost zero. So, you know, if you're investing your $100 and you're almost getting no return, at the end of the year, you know, your $100 is now worth, you know, 95 cents. Uh, $95 in order to go out and buy goods. So we're all paying the price for this. You know, and, and where, again, do we find this break-even point um, that it has the soft costs associated with it, environmental? Because right now we are pretty much only sitting in a soft cost estimation on environmental. We have yet to even try and quantify what this is going to look like in 2050. So all of these costs associated that we're trying to grasp have an ongoing effect that are not so easily ascertained. And for you know a lot of people, it's, bah, it's 30 years out. We'll worry about it then. And if the supply chain issues don't get you, the labor shortage might, and plenty of uh, local retailers, especially in the food industry, grocery, restaurant, restaurants, et cetera, are having really, really uh, a lot of trouble finding employees. So imagine being on both ends of the spectrum, getting hit from both sides. It's, it's really, really tough being um, a retailer these days. And the, the crisis in terms of um, employment here in Montreal, Mike, it doesn't seem to be improving. No, I, you know, it, it, it's very interesting because as, as we start to watch uh, the shortage in labor, I think what we're starting to see is a shift in labor. Um, and you're starting to, one of the new, uh, I guess, uh, you know, the, the, the whole concept of shifting jobs and changing the way we're doing things. So there is a labor shortage, um, but I think that labor shortage probably finds its way well, not probably, it definitely finds its way to influence all of us. But I think there are certain sectors that are hurting more than others. And, you know, you're starting to see now a lot of the retail sector where they're going back to hiring, you know, post 40, uh, whether that is male or female, in many cases on a part-time basis, people that have children uh, that are old enough to go to school, that are coming back. So all of a sudden you've got a shift in retail where you had a lot of younger uh, people either going through school or you know, kind of finding themselves, if you will, in, in retail, restaurants, uh, uh, you know, clerk type positions to now going back to hiring a few people that are, are, that are a little bit older in all of this. And so what it does is it, it, it's a bit of a clash of the generations at this point. And, and you know, we've had for years, I guess, and we'll continue to kind of, joke or half joke about the millennial implication to the labor force and 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 what that has done um you know if you if you're a believer in the psychology of of the workforce uh the millennials are posing a huge challenge to uh the gen xers and the baby boomers because uh their philosophical approach is uh, in part similar to baby boomers okay in terms of making the world a better place and we can do it together um and really at a kind of a contrast to the ongoing uh gen x uh you know you're you're only better served if you can do it yourself type of thing um and and i think we see it in all in all facets i think career goals have changed in the millennial uh, area i mean a career is you know when, when we grew up a career was maybe one or two different careers in your life uh, you know, you're looking now at a millennial group that wants experience. They want to see different things. It's part of the the life journey, which means they could have seven, eight, ten careers. Never mind jobs, careers uh, over their work span. 
um, you know, you've, you've got uh, a very different desire for compensation and rewards, uh, whether that is access to flexible time, whether that is, you know, it's always, always great, you know, when you sit down and voted somebody employee of the month and, you know, to a, to a Gen X or a baby boomer and you gave them the parking spot near the door, that was sense of pride. It was a sense of, you know, co- accomplishment. Uh, try offering that to a millennial today. Say, hey, I gave you the parking spot by the door and I'm not giving you anything else to go with it. Uh, you're going to see them run out the door real quick. And, you know, and, and I think that we all need to understand the implications and, and look, I'm not going to pass judgment on what's right and what's wrong. Uh, What I'm going to pass judgment on is our inability to find the middle ground that makes it uh, conceivable and usable for everybody without it creating a shortage and I guess the market that we're we're sitting in right now. Um, And unfortunately, as much as I would love to say every day needs, needs meaningful work, there's a reality that, you know, some days work is work and, and and we have a job to do and we have you know things to get because ultimately we play a role in the supply chain. And we're going to talk about finding a family doctor or any kind of healthcare professional. Um, our guest is uh, creating a healthcare marketplace that allows you to book medical appointments across Quebec. And Mike, it's an interesting business and certainly healthcare is just a primordial concern for every Quebecer and every Quebec business owner too. Hundred percent. I mean, the, let's be honest. It's always a topical item. I mean, there's no way we can get away with healthcare in this province or in this country or I guess anywhere in the world, in terms of not having healthcare at top of mind. Um, you know, and, and and for those that you know that that, that follow this, uh, you know, the government saying there's 880,000 Quebecers without a, a, a family doctor, when in fact the health minister himself claims there's about 1.5 million that are without a GP. So you know, we're talking about access to doctors. We're talking about trying to facilitate the process, and I think our guest today is is really helping us work in that direction. And and it's you know this kind of a consumer-based product at the end of the day. So I I think this is going to be very interesting for for a lot of listeners. Indeed. And uh, before we get to our guest, just a quick disclosure, because I have to remain transparent for my audience at CJAD. So as we mentioned on the program, today's entrepreneur is a sponsored program. So there may or may not be business relationships between people and companies on the show. So in this case, there is a pre-existing association between our guest and my company, TNKR Media. Uh, So that said, I just wanted to make the disclosure. Let's get the conversation going, because I'm sure you'll agree that our guest is really worth hearing out. Uh, Former Harvard School Uh, of business alum, Harvard Med School alum, came back to Montreal about five years ago to found TAP Medical. And uh, just in the last little while, TAP has been selected as uh, one of three uh, exclusive providers for the government, the Quebec government's new medical booking system. So a lot of interesting innovation uh, happening here with uh, TAP Medical and Dr. Safir Vanunu. Uh, Dr. Safir, welcome to CJAD. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity. This is wonderful. So, Dr. Vanuni, maybe just to, to, to kickstart this off, can you explain the difference between the app and telemedicine? I know once we start getting into electronic with, I guess, the older generation, there's a confusion of, of what, the, what your app would potentially do versus what everybody hears in terms of telemedicine. That's a great question because there is a, a lot of confusion around this term telemedicine. Telemedicine means a lot. When the pandemic hit, Everything, quote unquote, became telemedicine, meaning you were no longer seeing a physician face to face. You were communicating through some kind of media, whether that was a telephone, a video or a chat. You were not in front of that physician. So by telemedicine, we mean any type of interaction that where you are and the doctor are not necessarily in the same room. That's kind of the broadest definition for telemedicine. So your app is is focused solely on uh, booking appointments. 
And now I know that that sounds pretty straightforward and pretty simple, but for anybody who spent hours on the phone, either waiting through, waiting to get through for an appointment or with a receptionist, uh, maybe give us a walkthrough as to what the app does. Uh, ultimately, the end game is to get people closer and quicker to a doctor. So maybe just give us a, what, what, where it came from uh, and, and what it does. That's a great, uh, thanks for this opportunity. Let me start off by saying that TAP Medical was created with one mission. And that was to really simplify access to healthcare. As was mentioned on the show already, it's fairly difficult to get in touch with a doctor, whether it's through telephone being put on hold or you just can't get through at all. The idea behind Tap Medical was to create a healthcare marketplace. If you think of companies like Expedia, how they transform the way we book a flight, or Airbnb, the way they transform the way we actually book a vacation rental, or Uber, the way we book a taxi. TAP Medical is trying to do the same thing for medical appointments. We want for Quebecers to be able to book an appointment simply by going onto a marketplace, viewing the different appointments available to them, and being able to book an appointment within three clicks. That's the challenge today, is we need to move healthcare out of this concept of calling, waiting online only to find out that there's no appointment, and increase the transparency. And that's what marketplaces do. You bring buyers, you bring suppliers into one ecosystem, and you show everybody everything that's available. And then they say, pick what's most convenient to you. How do you pick and decide who ends up in the system as far as, shall we call it, a supplier at the end of the day, whether that's a clinic, whether that's a private doctor, whatever the case is? How do you build that marketplace? How do you, how do you create what's there? That's, and that's the crux of the whole problem. Tap Medical has now been around for about five years. We've booked about 2.4 million appointments for about 1.2 million Quebecers. Yet our biggest problem was we only had a limited availability of suppliers because Tap Medical was not used by all clinics across all of Quebec. Thankfully, this has changed over the last about year or so. The Quebec government has taken an initiative. In fact, what I believe is an amazing initiative, they've rallied together all of the doctors across Quebec and all of the clinics across Quebec and have brought them under this umbrella, what they call the Quebec hub. Now, this Quebec hub is what's going to create this ecosystem that we need in order to have enough supply. Because before, the problem was you would go on to tapmedical.ca and unfortunately, if you were too late, there was no supply left. The availability of this Quebec hub is now going to hopefully change that because the Quebec government has rallied everybody together. Hopefully that will bring up the supply and will increase the amount of ease with which Quebecers can book a medical appointment online. One of the more interesting par parts about your, your operation, Safir, is you've been in business for about five years and you're already now this preferred supplier for the government. You're one of three companies um, that, that are gonna be the, the portal, the Expedia-like portal to this appointment booking hub. Just quite simply, how did you get there? That's that's a very short amount of time to be sort of in, in the club, so to speak. Yeah, it took us a lot of work. Uh, you know, when the government, government come and expressed this desire to go ahead with this idea, they kind of went out and spoke to different companies that were in the business. Thankfully, they really liked our approach. Our approach, as opposed to a lot of our competitors or all our competitors, I would say, is that we are very user-centric. We're not focused on providing service necessarily to the clinic, but rather to the user. And they love that approach of that user-centric marketplace. We were the only ones doing it. 
Um, and they really loved it. And they thought this would be a great addition to the Quebec Hub. So we were able to be selected as part of the whole kind of uh, chosen few to be part of this. And uh, we're staying tr true to our mission. Even if you look at the new uh, tapmedical.ca, which is going to be coming live once the Quebec Hub is launched in a couple of uh, months, uh, we are going to be the place, the Expedia of healthcare. You'll be able to go in there, search across different specialties, different service categories, and be able to book an appointment, hopefully within three clicks. So I have to assume that, uh, you know, based on what you've, what you've experienced, and uh, we know that anything to do with the government can at times be political. Um, and I guess the, you know, my concern looking at it from a commercial standpoint is, it is TAP Medical or the entire system potentially at risk to a change of government? Or has this really been a commitment from Quebec uh, to move forward to try and facilitate this? It's an amazing question. And it's always difficult to kind of separate, you know, what's politics versus what's really kind of quote unquote healthcare. But what I do believe is that this current government is truly dedicated to improving access in Quebec. We all know as Quebecers, that access is difficult. We have wonderful healthcare, but it takes a while to get in front of the doctor. That's the problem. Our doctors are not the issue. There are simply just not enough doctors, and the way the system works is not transparent enough. You literally have to call five different clinics to figure out whether there's appointments, whereas now there's going to be a website. You're just going to go to the website, and you're going to see all the appointments available. It's really what Expedia did to travel, as opposed to calling Air Canada, finding out the availabilities and calling Continental, finding out their availabilities. Now you just go on one website and you see everybody's availabilities. So I do believe that the Quebec government is committed to doing this, whether there's going to be a change of government or not. This is something that's going to stay with us because it's needed. We all really need it and we all really want it. So right now, uh, the majority, I guess, of the clinics are all within the Montreal and the Montreal area uh, that are on board. I mean, I guess you've, you've got a few in outlying regions, but this, I guess the, 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 the hub is really the city of Montreal, which obviously makes sense from a populist perspective. What is the attempt or what is the, 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 the desire to hit outlying regions and connect in those areas and try and bring healthcare to a lot of people in the region that, you know, it, it, for them, it's, it, it's not walking across the street to the doctor. It could be, uh, you know, hundreds of miles to, for them to access. So that's the initiative of the Quebec Hub. What the Quebec Hub is really trying to do is expand outside of the big cities. Because if you really look at TAP Medical's availabilities over the last several years, it was very focused on Montreal because that's obviously the most populous area. The Quebec hub is really a Quebec province initiative. It's the Quebec government is bringing in doctors from ABTB and Saguenay-Lac-Saint-Jean and Montreal and Laval. Everybody has the same obligation. Everybody's kind of participating within the hub. So once the lab launches and really kind of picks up steam, we should really be able to say we have a province-wide Quebec hub, which will be amazing. So wherever you live in the province, you'll be able to use uh, tapmedical.ca or quebechub.ca and find an appointment and go ahead and book it. So it, this is access to doctors, but it's also access to nurse practitioners. That is correct. correct. Okay. okay, and uh, I, I think that that provides that opportunity in many more regions and many more outlying areas to touch a lot more people in, in this in this process. Um, again, the, the nurse practitioner is that does that fall under the same guise or the same 
call it recruiting as you would for doctors as far as top medical is concerned? Or is there a different exercise for nurse practitioners? No, they, it falls under primary care. As long as those nurse practitioners are within what we call primary care, which means family medicine and walk-ins, it'll fall under the same Quebec hub kind of umbrella. And Safir, you came back from Boston uh, and Pittsburgh from your time in the States there, um, having studied at Harvard, uh, both the business school and the medical school. So a lot of people in Montreal are wondering, why'd you come back? Why didn't you stay in the States? So uh, I think it, my wife, if there's any the dedication, it was, you know, that was my proof that I loved her more than anything else. It, jokingly, uh, kind of aside, uh, my, my wife and I both grew up in Montreal. We wanted to be close to our family. So that really what drove us back here. And then honestly, it was actually, a, it was a wonderful return. It was great to be close to family. And it's also giving us the opportunity to kind of uh, see health, Canadian healthcare in a different light. If I hadn't left, I wouldn't have seen maybe a different side of healthcare, a more user-centric side of healthcare. And my inspiration was really, can we bring that user-centric focus of American healthcare to Canada while keeping it Canadian? Because we love our healthcare and, you know, uh, there's some great things about Canadian healthcare. One major change, uh, maybe since you, since you returned from Quebec, and I wonder if, if uh, you've noticed this as well, uh, much more friendly to the, the the private actors in the business helping the system than we were even 10 years ago. Oh, absolutely. That And that is an incredibly welcome change. Uh, the government no longer feels that it's got to control and manage every part of healthcare. They're now realizing that perhaps the best way of uh, maximizing healthcare is by giving some parts of it to private industry. And that's what this whole Quebec hub initiative really demonstrates. If you really remember about uh, almost uh, five or six years ago, the Quebec government had come up with the Rendezvous Santé Quebec, the RVSQ, which was also kind of in a hub idea, but purely run by the government. Unfortunately, it was a big uh, failure. The government did not give up on the idea, but instead said, let's try it with private industry. And again, I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago. So hats off to the Quebec government for doing that. Very interesting, though, Dr. Venuni, when, you know, we, we get into, you know, people think people think of starting an app and it's, you know, some, you know, 18 year old uh, curled up in the basement uh, designing something. And I mean, we're talking about a very sophisticated process here, as well as costing a lot of money to get off the ground. And, you know, we just talked about the Dan's question in terms of the public uh, private partnership, but you guys built, um, you guys built this and, and the rounds of financing, none of it has come from government money. This has been pure private money at this point. Yeah, it is. It has been. We've gone through three rounds of uh, financing, all private money. One, uh, a VC recently joined in, um, but the government really hasn't kind of stepped up in order to help up help out in this area, which is, un I believe it's an unfortunate uh, process, but the ecosystem for startups in Quebec is really beginning to blossom. It's taken a while as well, but there is a really nice ecosystem that's developing around startups, especially early startups. I still think there may be a gap in the middle financing uh, where you're no longer in uh, kind of a seed or really early funding, and you're not yet at the late funding, you kind of had that Series A hole that's currently existing here in Montreal and in Quebec, I would say, uh, that we definitely experienced because our VC is actually from BC. So there really is today 
uh, I think, a hole in the financing in Montreal and in Quebec. We hope that's going to fill in with time. But nonetheless, compared to 10 years ago, the uh, startup ecosystem in uh, Montreal, Quebec is outstandingly uh, improved compared to what it was. Yeah, certainly the startup uh, market. And certainly when you're getting into medical biotech, uh, technology, you know, Quebec has always been at the forefront uh, between, you know, tax credits and and a lot of other things that, that have gone on. The reality of the scenario is, though, and it's interesting that it's a great idea. We've got such a hub here, but you still had to to BC for uh, for the BC fund. So uh, we're we, we certainly haven't found that sweet spot yet in terms of bringing everybody together and, and doing what we have to do to make this a, a better place. Especially since healthcare is a provin- at, a, at a provincial level, mm-hmm. uh, it's going to continue to be be a bit of a challenge. How how does how does Tap Medical? see itself going forward and you know that this ability to to work across Canada and make access for doctors or is this going to stay pretty much a, a Quebec uh, project oh no our mission is definitely be to be across Canada what we're doing right now is we're really understanding the magic formula for tap what it how what works best how do you actually build this ecosystem and we're doing that in Quebec but the lessons we've learned over the last five years of doing business primarily within Quebec and what we're learning now with regards to this Quebec hub, we're definitely kind of wrapping that up into our magic formula, which we will then apply into different provinces. We're now realizing that the biggest problem for healthcare access right now is this concept of transparency. And this hub is an amazing way of actually reducing uh, this kind of opacity that's in the healthcare system. How can we make it more easy for anybody to find an appointment? And a marketplace is a solution. So we're now building the pieces that we need in order to take this marketplace and bring it to Ontario, bring it to Alberta, bring it to BC and bring it across the rest of Canada. So our vision is within the next couple of years is to be a pan-Canadian. A few challenges here on the communications front. Um, First, you have to tell people about it. And the other thing is you have to sort of expect um, medical offices and doctors to also adopt it. So tell me about the, the, the dual communications challenge there. So that's, uh, I'll tell you, the struggle we've had over the last five years. The communication to the end user is fairly simple. If you tell a Quebecer, I have a hub, I have tapmedical.ca or quebechub.ca, and you go there and you can find a medical appointment online, everybody's there. That's not an issue. Everybody, the users want it. The flip was the hardest side is how do you convince the doctors and the clinics to jump on board? Well, the answer was we couldn't. But now the Quebec government has done a lot of the heavy lifting for us. And it's interesting, but I really do have to kind of uh, applaud the Quebec government for doing this because I would I can tell you that nobody in private industry would have been able to wrangle everybody together, the doctors and the clinics. As a doctor myself, I can tell you we typically are kind of like, uh, you know, lone rangers. You know, we all want to kind of do what we want to do. But the government has decided, no, we have to kind of bring everybody together into one arena for the betterment of Quebec society. And it took the government to do that. So hats off to them. And now we no longer have to worry about doctors and clinics. They have to kind of participate. And that's why we believe this uh, Quebec hub will really take off over the, over the coming uh, years. What, what has this meant to the doctor's office in terms of linking into the system? I mean, has this been a simple process for them? Has this involved any kind of uh, investment or has it just been time? It requires 
some time, zero financial investment. In fact, the Quebec government's footing the bill for all the technology that's actually supporting it. And once again, the Quebec government actually went to private industry for that. They didn't try to develop that back end. Another important kind of uh, decision on their end. So I would say that for a clinic or for a doctor, it's fairly transparent. There's zero impact. Reason more why they should not fight this process. This should be a process that should be easily adopted and embraced by clinics and doctors. It's not costing them uh, money. It's going to cost them a little bit of time in the initial setup, but it's going to save them tremendous amount of headache. If you think about it from a point of view of a clinic, the hundreds, if not thousands of phone calls they get, these will all decrease because now people don't have to call them for an appointment. They can just go online and book an appointment. So there's a lot of benefits for uh, clinics to adopt this system. So it, it, let, let, let's go back across Canada because obviously that 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 growth component to you is is seems like it's going to be a very important aspect of tap medical. Are there other marketplaces that are already established in other provinces uh, at this point? And if so, how do you plan on positioning yourself in order to get into a marketplace that already exists? So the opportunity is actually that there are no healthcare marketplaces. Tap Medical was created with this concept of creating Canada's first healthcare marketplace. It's amazing. We have marketplaces for everything we do in life today, whether it's shopping, uh, taxis, uh, vacationing, everything else. Yet for healthcare, arguably one of the most important aspects of our life, we have still kind of, we're still in the old world mechanism of calling. So our vision is really to grow this marketplace across Canada. And as of yet, there is nobody who, is competing in the same space as we are. We are really kind of paving that way because we came at it from a different perspective. And I would say that a little bit of that American in me is really kind of what drove this idea. Uh, there is a, a marketplace in the US called ZocDoc. And ZocDoc, believe it or not, is booking nearly 20 million appointments every single month for Americans. And these are healthcare appointments. They, they have kind of proven the fact that uh, healthcare marketplaces are incredibly successful. There are, there's another company out in Europe called Dr. Lieb is doing about the same thing, 15 to 20 million appointments a month. Tremendous amount of success across France and Germany. There is absolutely no reason that Canada should not have its own uh, healthcare marketplace. And I'm dedicated to make sure that tapmedical.ca is the healthcare marketplace uh, for Canadians. Dr. Safir Vanunu, a really interesting story. And stick around. We're going to have your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur in a moment. And speaking of that sector and the R&D credits available, um, you know, selling tech, buying tech, and some of the, the tax implications there, let's bring in tax partner Carlo Lupo from FL. Uh, Carlo, welcome back to today's entrepreneur. And thank you very much for having me back. Um, last segment was uh, surely interesting with uh, Dr. Vanunu. And, uh, you know, I took a few things away from that. Um, you know, one of the challenges today uh, that everyone's having is uh, reaching uh, a target uh, market. And what we're seeing is uh, many businesses developing their own applications, their own platforms in order to make um, uh, clients and customers their selling sites. Um, so that brings up the issue of uh, intellectual property. So one of the things that was uh, great from the 2020 budget from uh, Quebec was um, they introduced the incentive for deduction of the commercialization of innovations. Um, I realize it's a mouthful, but it's the IDCI. So the IDCI 
provides businesses in Quebec one of the most competitive rates uh, in North America for businesses that develop and commercially localize uh, intellectual properties. Uh, what this effectively means is that businesses uh, that uh, begin after December 31st, 2020, any income attributable to that development of intellectual property is taxed at a anemic rate of 2% which is phenomenal considering that the general rate of taxation in Quebec on business profits is 11.5%. So that's really wonderful. Um, this is, it's designed for businesses that have a permanent establishment in Quebec, commercialize the IP in the province uh, and incur uh, research and development expenses. And really the revenues that are generated from the intellectual property can be from the sale of goods, uh, services, uh, or even the, um, uh, outsourcing of the intellectual property. So it, this is all designed for the encouragement of um, businesses in Quebec. And that leads to a broader discussion on uh, R&D in general, that in Canada and especially in Quebec, uh, R&D rates are very favorable. Uh, you're at 30, 35% tax credit rate for uh, scientific research and experimental development in Canada and 30% in Quebec. So the incentivization to carry out R&D activities in the province is uh, probably the best across Canada. Um, in the case of Dr. Venunu, he, he carries out a clinic. Uh, I've seen, uh, and, and many doctors may not necessarily know this, but some of them are carrying out R&D activities without them actually being aware that they could be eligible for those credits. So I strongly encourage that any medical practitioner that um, that is carrying out um, R&D activities through their clinic, I, I would recommend that they consult with uh, a specialist to see if any of the projects or research that they're doing um, is eligible for those credits. So you said something a couple of minutes ago that, that mm -hmm. struck me, which on the tax rate is 2% on all revenue derived from the IP. Now, mm -hmm. in, in an app environment, I would say probably pretty straightforward, probably pretty easy to define, you know, where that revenue comes from. But there's a lot of businesses that are sitting with IP that it's not always clear to tell where the revenue comes from. How, how do you go about deciding uh, where, that, where that source of revenue is and, and obviously take advantage of a favorable tax treatment? Well, Mike, that's a good question. First, you have to understand it has to be IP that's developed um, after 2020. So any existing IP that you have, uh, generally it's, it's internalized goodwill. It's the goodwill from years of experience, key people that you may have in a business, the owner themselves, that wouldn't necessarily qualify. So this is really targeted for businesses that have to go out and develop something. So in the case of Dr. Venunu, uh, he's gone out and he's developed with business partners and, and, um, and, and his own funds out of pocket, uh, a platform to allow customers and patients alike to be able to, to have some um, uh, direct contact with them. So it's kind of easy to make that determination because you have a product and you can identify from that product where those revenues are coming from. So in the case of, say, Dr. Venunu, you'll have inbound patients that are coming from, from uh, outside and you'll have patients that are doing face-to-face. Uh, -face. And I think you know, if you can delineate um, in two separate silos, revenues from one and revenues from the other, you can very easily make that determination. And I think with technology that all businesses have today, um, should be very easy for you to carve out uh, that source of revenue attached to that IP.
So I'm fascinated by the post-2020 IP development. So taking an example like Dr. Venunu, who's had this business going on for five years now. I mean, there's IP that was developed before the new deadline. There's IP that's developed afterwards. How and, 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 and what do we look at it? Is it when this is commercialized? How, how do you determine when to use the 2% and how much? I, I mean, if he's been in business for five years and this is one year, does he only take 20% of that number? Where, how, how, do you, how do you define this? Is there a grandfather well, component to it? Unfortunately, like most credits, whenever credit is introduced, it's after that date. So anything that's prior doesn't doesn't uh, you're not caught with um, the implementation of a credit. So unfortunately, if you were if you were developing something uh, before the implementation of a credit, it's kind of too, a too bad situation. Unfortunately, Carlo Lupo, tax partner at FL. Thanks very much, Carlo. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll speak next time in the new year. And as we do at the end of every show, let's turn to our guest, Dr. Tsafir Vanunu, CEO of TAP Medical, and ask him for his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur, sir. Oh, my piece of advice is fairly simple. Expect it to be much harder than what anything you can imagine. And you have to be ready to do anything that's needed in order to kind of stay alive and afloat for long enough to catch on. Uh, I never would have dreamt five years ago that entrepreneurship would have been this difficult. I thought medical school was difficult. Forget about it. This is 10 times harder and 10 times more volatile and unpredictable. But you have to be ready to do whatever is needed in order to keep your head above water and survive. If you believe in your idea and you believe that eventually people will believe in your idea, you got to live long enough to, for that persistence. And uh, persistence means you got to fight and be ready to fight. It's going to be a long slog but it's all worth it at the end. And Mike, uh, you know, I'm struck by, by how quickly Zafir got in there and got into uh, you know, uh, what we could describe as Quebec Inc. or, or a, a really select group of companies to help Quebec modernize healthcare. It's a really impressive story. Most definitely, and obviously the transparency in a uh, rather opaque system in and of itself is, is, is a major accomplishment, but be able to, to get this kind of parapublic uh, and private public partnership and, you know, every other, uh, other side of partnership going on this is huge. And, and I'm really curious and, and, and really looking forward to seeing this outside the boundaries of Quebec going across Canada, because I do feel that, you know, we are bringing uh, possibly some of the better aspects of U.S. healthcare uh, into a Canadian system that, as Dr. Venenu said, we all cherish. So, you know, if we can bring the best of both worlds together, and this is the start of it, I got to say, hey, uh, hats off and let's keep it going. There was a Supreme Court decision a while ago, about a decade ago, called the Shaoli decision, which really changed things for Quebec healthcare. And it, all of us admitted with that decision that we need help. We need the help of the private sector to, to, to bring us all up to speed. So I think that's um, it's an important lesson. Um, thanks very much to Dr. Safir Renunu, CEO of TAP Medical. And so Mike, uh, wishing you and all our listeners a great holiday season and a prosperous new year. Today's entrepreneur will be back in January and starting the year roaring with Anne-Marie Trudeau from Trudeau Corporation. So uh, they are the kitchen and houseware company that we see all over the place. Product design, development, selling these products around the world. That's all coming up on our first show of the new year. A reminder, you can subscribe to Today's Entrepreneur as a podcast on iHeartRadio, iTunes, or your favorite platform, Spotify too. And uh, go over to todaysentrepreneur.org for hundreds of local entrepreneur stories from the last 13 years. All the best, Mike. See you soon. All the best to you and your family. Thanks.